Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. And welcome to this week's Maternity and Midwifery Hour to all of you. My name's Sue MacDonald. I'm the curator for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour and also the Maternity and Midwifery Festival, which we had yesterday, and I'll tell you a little bit about that later. And it's my pleasure to be chairing tonight's session. We're joined by Janie Starling, Maria Garcia-Frutos, I hope I've pronounced that correctly, and Susie to talk about pregnant women in prison and and kind of whether they should be there anyway and and more about that later but we always start and like to put our guests on the spot uh, to ask them for a moment of the week and I'm going to start with Janie because I think she has a a, a nice little moment to share with us. Uh, Well yeah my moment of the week I had a really productive meeting with the Premier League on gender-based violence so I run a feminist campaigning organisation and we have been lobbying football to deal with their sexism problem. And I had a great wow. meeting about it, which is nice. Wow. Wow. It's great to have a step forward on that, that order. Fabulous. How about Maria? Do you have a moment to share? Yes, it was really horrible today in London. It was raining. <laughs> it was great. So I went to uh, for an outdoor swimming and it was really lovely. It was raining, but it was really nice. So that's the moment of my week so far. <laughs> Hang on, you went outdoor swimming. Is yes. This, is this the wild swimming in the cold? No, it was a lido with uh, heated uh, water. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> I'll let you off then. It still that, was nice. <laughs> that sounds very nice, actually. If it's warm outside, inside and, and cold outside, that's fine. How about Susie? Did you have a moment of the week you'd like to share? Um, mine's more a little lighter. Um, just getting time to go to the gym. Wow. So we've got in each of your moments, there's a little bit of fitness. And you're now making me feel guilty because I'm meant to be on the couch to 5k trail and I haven't been out for at least 10 days. So I have to catch up with myself. So you've made me feel guilty, all of you. And I'll be out probably Friday, though. We'll leave it to Friday. Thank you so much for sharing your moments. Now, I'm just going to say to everybody and just remind you um, where Maternity and Midwifery Hour came from, which we started this on the onset of the pandemic. uh, And it was a way of linking up midwives, student midwives, people who wanted to be midwives, mums, dads, um, medics, and nursery nurses, all sorts of people within the maternity services. So people had a contact, so people had an hour's worth of information in a very digestible format and kept themselves up to date and also had something just a bit different at a very difficult time. And we've kind of carried on because we're now on series six on our, it can't be our third year, second year, third year, third, and probably is our third year now, session eight. So we're, we're keeping on going. Um, because it's been very popular for, for all of those people within our audience. And I know we I'm welcoming this evening people from all over the place, all over the world, as well as 
UK. Um, and just reminding you that you can share, you'll get a, a, a kind of um, a, a box set that you can share with your, your colleagues and you can discuss what you've heard tonight and please do share. It will be coming out a little bit later as well. And it's an, an important issue that you, you need, we need to discuss and we need to really move forward with. Um, but also, if you're doing a project, a dissertation, you're having to do revalidation if you're a midwife, just to stay on the register, this is a good source because we have, this is all supported by Mapflix. We have a whole load of uh, material that you can update yourselves with and you can share again with your colleagues. Now, I'll just at this point say a big thank you to all our NHS colleagues working away still kind of still working alongside with the COVID because we've got all the, the backlog of care. Of course, maternity services didn't, ha didn't have to operate in quite the same way as some of the other NHS services because women still are getting pregnant, still women are having babies um, and needing care, and that's carried on. And midwives have risen to the, the challenge brilliantly. So a big thank you to all round, really. But of course, there are quite a few people off sick at the moment with this COVID newest variant. So it does put a lot of pressure on everyone and people are tired and stressed. So look after yourselves. I'm going to say more about that later, because guess what? With my news, I always come up with the happiness, the happiness calendar. I love this. It's on your resources sheet, just as some of the things that Janie and Maria will talk about. They're all on that resource sheet so you can access that. And just to say that on the, the, the March day today is to notice three things you find beautiful in the outside world. And every day you have a little something to think about and, and just take you out of your everyday life. So that's really good. OK, it's yesterday was Zero Discrimination Day. Tomorrow's World Wildlife Day. I like to just expand this a bit. And I usually have a little bit about the news. And of course, you'll notice I've got some sunflowers behind me and I'm in blue and I've got yellow, the colours for the Ukraine. And I think my colleagues with me this evening have also paid tribute with some blues and yellows. Things are really difficult and, and horrendous, actually, in the world at the moment. And we send our love and our support to people in Ukraine and, and at this terrible time of this Russian invasion. There's no other word for it. And we just, I think, all pray and hope for peace and an end to the hostilities because it's horrendous. So that's a, very hard to think about at the moment. Um, now, yesterday, little I'm lightening a little bit. We had yesterday's Maternity and Midwifery Festival, fantastic presentations and discussion with Professors Leslie Page, who's all known to many, many of you, and Jane Sandal and Sophie Russell, uh, and our Chief Midwife, Jacqueline Dunkley-Bent. And it was a really good day. Not as many people could make it as we hoped because of the tube strike and also it wasn't brilliant weather and there is sickness around but we did have a good day we did have lots of midwives and students to join us and that was lovely so a big shout out for those midwives who make it made it there yesterday and I hope you enjoyed it just to remind everybody if you were registered for this you will get the box set so you don't miss a drop a drop of it OK, I'm going to because I want to really get onto the meat of this this evening now. And we're going to be looking at pregnant and childbearing women in prison. And 
you know, one some of the facts about this are quite stunning. And I know you some people are going to find this quite a difficult topic this evening, but it's really important. For example, one in 10 women give birth inside a cell or on the way to hospital. I wonder how many people knew that. That's shocking. And in the last two years, two babies, and I, you know, this, have been, this has been in the media and it's very shocking. Two babies born in prison have died. And even if that, that the worst doesn't happen, it's very stressful, it's very traumatic for mother and child. And you have to think about being in prison in a very real way and what happens to women. It's a very, for most women, it's a very exciting, wonderful time. But if you're taken away from your family and you're put somewhere very alien, it's a very, very scary time. And I'm so pleased to have three of three guests this evening with us who are going to help us understand the issues much better. And firstly is Janie Starling, who's a co-director at Level Up. She's a communications expert and she's worked in domestic violence shelters and has been involved in media focused campaigning, as you've just heard with her moment of the week. That's the sort of thing she does towards system, systemic change in areas, including domestic abuse and within prison issues. Um, and we're also welcoming Susie along, kind of alongside Janie. It's not her, her, her real name, but she's very generously come along this evening to share her experience, to give us a real understanding of what it's like to be in a prison in 2020, 21, 22, whatever the time. So welcome to Janie and to Susie. But Janie, the screen is now yours. Okay, so I'm going to just give an overview on pregnancy in prison. And this is just a snapshot. There's so much information out there. Um, but what I want to say before I start is that it's really central that we remember that this is all about motherhood. And I think sometimes when we talk about the criminal justice system, people get so caught on the word prison, criminal, offender, that they completely dehumanise women who are in prison and specifically everything to do with motherhood. And as you said, Sue, it's a time often of excitement, of, of anxiety, of anticipation, where community is absolutely essential. So pregnancy in prison in the UK, in the last two years, two babies have died in prisons when their mothers went into labor in their cells without medical assistance. Um, that's not normal, that's completely traumatic. And the campaign was launched by Level Up and Birth Companions and Women in Prison in response to these two baby deaths because we heard the news that not one but two babies had died in prison in a space of two years. And yet the Ministry of Justice and the government were not making any changes to, to the fact that pregnant women were still being sent to prison, despite there being alternatives. So we launched a campaign um, off the back of the first baby death that was published. That was one in Bronzefield Prison. Um, and, you know, we've just been building momentum ever since, because since we went public, so many people have come forward and said, I can't believe that pregnant women are in prison. They just shouldn't be there. So I'm going to play a short video in a sec. Um, and it also features Susie's voice. Um, but it's this campaign has been founded with women who were pregnant in prison um, and their experiences and their demands are at the centre of it. Um, I'll play the video shortly, but just a really key contextual point is that majority of women in prison are there for short sentences for things you know often for less than six months for things like shoplifting and theft and so when we look at actually what prisons are there for they're often holding some of the most vulnerable and very poor people in society and it's 
quite cruel actually that that's our societal response and Maria I know that you'll speak in your research I was shocked myself when I read that one of the women you spoke to was 30 weeks pregnant when she was sent to prison for shoplifting while she was homeless living in the car park and I think this campaign fundamentally is just about demanding humanity for mothers who come into contact with the criminal justice system but you know 63% of women in prison are survivors of domestic abuse and it's just really, really important as well that we remember this isn't just about birthing. Obviously, the concept of going into labour in a prison cell is every pregnant woman's worst nightmare and it happens. And it's happened and it's resulted in tragic baby death, not to mention long-term trauma for the women. But also, even if you don't give birth in prison, even if you know that doesn't happen to you, the stress of being pregnant in prison, which I know Susie will speak to, and the long-term trauma and the long-term impact that this will cause on you, on the development of your child, is so disproportionate to any crime that anyone could ever commit, really. And I think what's really important to emphasise is that you, know, you might hear, oh, three months, six months. Well, if someone's in prison for a three, six-month sentence during a pregnancy, that time is absolutely crucial for fetal development. And, you know, if they're in prison during their due date, if they're in prison when they have that, their birth and they lose their baby, it's just so, so unforgivable. So something that we really want to focus on as well is just the fact that this isn't just about birth, it's about the health of a woman's pregnancy overall. I will stop talking briefly and play you this video. So you should be able to see it. When I was seven weeks pregnant, I was sentenced to prison. I was in a dorm, which was horrible. It's a lot of women, one bathroom. When I arrived, I didn't eat for five days. You don't have access to fruit and veg. The lunch would be a packet of crisps, sausage roll. The bigger I got, I started to get hip pain because when you're laying on the cell beds they're basically metal with like a really really thin mattress just imagine giving birth in your cell in your room and nobody being there you can go to prison for not paying your council tax a lot of the women in there were at the mercy of domestic violence situations when the nurse came she asked me to lay on the bed Move my legs apart so she could examine me, but she didn't want to close the door. And we have male guards. One baby has died. One is one too many. She is my entire world. She was with me through everything. We're still people. So that was a campaign film. Um, I know, so you're going to send it out in the resource pack. Mm. So just a bit of the campaign, we are demanding an end to prison sentencing for pregnant women and new mothers in the UK. Right now, astoundingly, there's no statutory duty for judges to actually take a pregnancy or a baby into consideration when they're making a sentencing decision. Now that's for a sentence or a bail decision. And the reason I say bail, so, you know, when you're immediately arrested, there's a decision made on whether you'll be held in prison until you're trial or you can go home and what's really really devastating is that the young woman who lost her baby in Bronzefield prison was actually there on remand and the day after the baby died she was sent home on bail which just goes to show you know she didn't need to be there and things could be very very different if she wasn't there.
So what we're saying is that there is another way because there just is. When a woman is supported in her community, she can make the best choices for her, for her child, and prison will never be the best start in life. So we launched this campaign. It's gained so much traction and media attention. And there's brilliant researchers out there. Maria is one of them um, who will speak about her recent research. But I encourage you to really look at the work of Laura Abbott, of Lucy Baldwin, Rona Epstein, and Shona Minson. And they've done great work on this. Um, and the reason I'm really keen to speak to midwives is because the position of the two biggest kind of voices of midwifery in the UK, I believe doesn't go far enough. And I think you could have some huge influence on changing government policy. Sorry, there's cats having a fight. I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> um, because fundamentally, prison is not a safe place for anybody. The very design of prison is based around isolation from community, it's deprivation of your liberty. And if there's anything that pregnant women need, it's community and access to healthcare. And you will never ever get access to healthcare psychologically, physically, um, when you're in a prison cell. And it's really interesting that these are the positions that the RCM and the RCOG have, that the RCM say that all women in prison or custody must have equal maternity care to those women on the outside. And that position in itself is redundant because you will never have equal access to maternity care when you're locked inside a prison cell. Um, even if there are midwives on the prison site, they're definitely not there overnight. And even if they were, if there's an emergency, you simply cannot get out quick enough and an ambulance simply cannot get in quick enough. And also I think what's really sad, and I know Susie, you'll speak to this as well. When you're in prison, you can't have anybody accompanying you to your appointments. Um, and as we know, that is such an emotional part of, of pregnancy. They're milestones that you, can, you can't do again. Um, so yeah, I would really encourage anyone to write to the RCM, to write to the RCOG, just to say, you know, will we change our position on this? Because it just doesn't make any sense. So the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the position is women in prison should have access to high quality maternity care that's equitable to all other women living in the community. And the prison system must ensure that imprisonment does not compromise maternal or neonatal outcomes. And again, it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, ultimately, prison will never, ever, ever, it will always compromise maternal outcomes. It will always compromise the health of anybody, even someone who isn't pregnant. Um, so it's really important that we just recognize that these positions not only, I think, almost uphold the prison system as it is, because, you know, as much as the Ministry of Justice might say on paper that they're aiming to make maternity care equitable, it just will never be by the nature of prisons. Um, but also, I think it does a disservice to the role of mid midwives in the UK and obviously you know Maria I know you'll speak more to this but actually what this is about it's about care and it's about the care of babies and children and as the voice of midwifery in the UK I think you could have huge influence on government if you change the position to just draw a line and toe the line and just say no baby should be born in prison no pregnant woman should be in prison we are the experts on this you actually need to listen to us um, so finally these are three things that you could do you can we're nearly at 10,000 signatures. As I said, you could write to the Royal College of Midwives, the Nursing and Midwifery Council as well. They actually don't have a public position on this, or if they do, I haven't seen it. And the RCOG, just to demand, they shift, um, they shift their position on this. 
And we have a rally on Monday, the 28th of March. It's a, it's a Mother's Day rally, but it's the day after because um, obviously Parliament don't sit on Sundays. In a day, and it's BYOB, and that is bring your own baby. So <laughs> if you have a baby, <laughs> if you have a baby, borrow a baby, come along. Um, but also obviously midwives and, and birth professionals are absolutely welcome there. Um, because we're going to be making a stand outside Parliament just to say this is about mothering, it's about mothers and babies, treat them with respect, treat their health with absolute respect um, and get them out of prison. So please stay in touch. Um, the petition, if you're listening but not watching, is at act.welevelup.org slash pregnant in prison. And I know so you'll send it out in the resource yeah, pack. Um, and if you want to get more involved, just get in touch. So our email address is hello at welevelup.org um, and it'll be fantastic to hear from you. But I will hand over to Susie now because Susie, you were pregnant in prison. You are the authority on this. Um, and I know that people are very interested to hear your experiences. Hi. Yeah. Um, yes, I was pregnant in prison. Um, I found out I was pregnant as I was being booked into reception. So I was just as surprised as anybody else because when you're being um, administered into prison, they make everybody take a pregnancy test. Oh. So I, this was like, it, it was like I was processing a lot of things as I was on remand as well. So it's like, <laughs> I'm on remand, I'm having a baby. I, I have a son already. So that was one of my biggest worries in prison. But as I as I got into prison, um, I was brought to the first night suite, which is kind of like I call it the honeymoon part of prison. So <laughs> not very realistic to what the rest of the prison is like. Very quiet, it's very calm, which kind of lures you into a corner, kind of like an unrealistic sense of security because you go from feeling all like you're worried, but it it's to it's so totally different to when you get into the actual main part of the prison um as I after I left the first night suite I went into the one of the other landings so I was just on a general mixed landing um and I was in a double bunk and I remember my roommate first kind of alarm um went through my my prison notes and she discovered that I was pregnant and and told the other ladies and they were they were oh. saying to me um you know you shouldn't be on the top bunk because I was on the top bunk both and they were like that's not safe like you should be somewhere else so they were they were advising me that I should speak to the prison officer so I told one of the prison officers like I'm pregnant I don't think I should be up here and he was looking through my notes as if he was like this was the first time he's hearing it as well oh. Um, so they moved me into a dorm, which is a room full of six people. Um, the difference is I'm just on the ground now. But even then, I was faced with lots of kind of hostile behaviour, kind of not the things that you need in the start of your pregnancy. Um, although I'm quite a strong character, I must say, the, the first um, a week or so on that landing was kind of some of the hardest moments of my life. Obviously, lots of people come from different backgrounds and like a mix of ages and personalities just very much clashing. So I asked to be moved again because somebody else, another prisoner, told me that there actually is a pregnancy ring, which I was also shocked to yeah. discover. So finally, I get to the last stage and I'm at the pregnancy wing now, but I'm in a mix, a dorm. The pregnancy wing is a mix of vulnerable people as well as pregnant people. Um, and I remember, and I was in a dorm again, 
which um, according to the prison is that you, they, you shouldn't, pregnant people shouldn't be alone and you should be in the group of women. But it just happened that when I got to this dorm, they were very well established. And I remember one night um, the lady was shouting at me to turn off my light, but I was so scared. I couldn't, and the, the little light over your bed was something that you could, you were allowed to keep on. And I remember we were we were arguing because I was refusing. It's like I'm, I'm I've been I've already been stressed by enough people on different landings, and I'm not turning this off. And then in the middle of the night, I was carried out by prison officers, um, and put in a single like in an empty single cell by myself. And I remember that night, I cried and I cried and I cried. And then the head of the the head of our wing she came to speak to me and she told me she was going to take my television away so apparently when you misbehave although uh, I don't feel like I, I don't I feel like standing up for myself was seen as it, I learned very quickly they um very big on authority so like standing up um for myself was almost like I've done myself a disservice if I should have just turned off the light and been quiet so she told me she's going to take my TV away and I cried and I cried and I think she panicked the ladies were saying to me basically there was so much gone on before I arrived to the the landing that she gave me back the television because she was worried that I was going like I was that I was going to be in like a lot of distress and it affect the baby throughout the next couple of weeks um I I was discovering new things but from the ladies on my landing so um you in order so as I, I got really big really fast although I was at the beginning of my pregnancy I was about 12 weeks and I looked about 32 um so yeah. it was very uncomfortable um as the video says you're sleeping on like a really thin, a really thin mattress on a single bed but I, I was really one of the lucky ones as some of the people in the prison didn't have support whereas I did so I was asking questions like how how do I get a pregnancy pillow? How can I get myself a duvet? Because I arrived at a time where um, it was still quite cold. It was March, April, and the weather was really cold. And they were saying to me that you had to be an enhanced prisoner to, to, pay, to buy a duvet. They don't provide duvet. So kind of like the blanket they'd give you in A&E is the blankets we slept with. Wow. And the heating is on subjectively. So depending on what the prison think is sufficient, you don't have a personal heater in your in your bedroom so uh, I, I had to I had to imply apply to be an enhanced prisoner before I could have access to they used to use the Argos catalogue and order from there but you had to make an application first bef before you could even go that far um they what your family weren't allowed to hand you in stuff like duvets and sheets and things like that you had to pay for it which I thought was really strange like if the prison couldn't afford it but your family could why why couldn't you and then it came to things like when my cravings and stuff had changed our uh, the prison food was very poor like food would turn up with like potatoes would turn up with dirt on it still like the the, the veg and fruit and veg hadn't been washed which some of the ladies from the kitchen told me that it hadn't. And they, the prison relies on a lot of prisoner help. So it would be prisoners cooking, prisoners cleaning and stuff. And so that generally would be a job that the, the ladies from the detox wing take. But could you imagine someone's detoxing off of drugs and they're sweating and their, their head, their mind's not in it, but they, they still need the money because they don't have the same family support as other people. And 
and so they're like the 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 prisons cutting corners in basic things that you would think like washing your rice and and washing your vegetables and it, like mm. the, the food standards were quite low and I get it I'm a prisoner so I mean it's just it's not this is not um the Savoy Hotel that <laughs> basic things that I would have just expected like how do you mess up pasta but <laughs> then you could buy your own food but it wasn't exactly food it was more like tuck shop so there's no refrigerator and stuff so all if your drinks come, they come room temperature so if your rooms are hot your drinks hot so it, there was not there wasn't a lot of if there was fruit there wasn't a lot of fruit choices and they were very very overpriced considering all of the resources are open to the prison they were buying from I think they call them happy shopper like the brand's like happy shopper Mm. um and it was just everything was just shocking me so I can't I can't even even though I can afford to provide my baby with the right nutrition I this the the stuff that the prison is offering doesn't allow me and then I had a night where I wasn't feeling well. And that's the part where it was, where I was, where I was just feeling like <laughs> I've had enough. So I remember I had pains in my stomach. So I rang the buzzer. They asked, they were asking me like, how am I feeling? Would I like to come out and take a walk? Um, they were, they were kind of deliberating like what they're supposed to do. So in order to leave the prison in times of emergency, they have to, before they can let you out your cell, they have to find someone else to cover the landing. And then when they let you out your cell, even if there is someone on, on site, they have, to, they have to call ahead to the hospital. They have to find someone who's able to drive and come as an escort because you need minimum two people well, to, to take you to the hospital, depending on what kind of prisoner you are. Um, and the the two people that took me that night were very very agitated because it was almost time for them to finish work and my medical emergency meant that it would mean that they would have to stay for longer when you go to to the hospital you're still handcuffed so I sat in the the reception at about like 11 p.m at night sitting in handcuffs while the rest of the the Amy looked frightened while sitting sitting in a a filled waiting room and I remember a little girl mum saying to her like you can sit there and she was like no so like this it's just like the embarrassment because I, I would stare too if I saw anyone sitting in handcuffs because why are you why are you handcuffed mm. but the the prison told me it's because there's a, lots of exits so it's in case I escape Although this is a medical emergency, the last thing I'm thinking about is running away. Mm. And then we saw the doctor and the doctor was basically saying, because it was a weekend, there's not much they could do and I have must, I should come back on Monday. And it's almost like it was like music to the, the prison officer's ears. They couldn't wait to pack up and leave. And like for me, I, it was, it, I was more upset because I couldn't ring my son's dad so I couldn't I had no one to to sit with and it's just that invasion of privacy because I can't speak to the consultant by myself they're in that that is like they're a part of everything 
I can't, I don't have any privacy, although now we are in a private room. And then I remember I started bleeding and I was telling the doctor and he was saying, you know, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing we can do as, as it's an early pregnancy. So I remember I spent the rest of the weekend on the way home feeling like I lost my baby and the prison officer mm-hmm. turned around to me in the van and she was saying to me, you know, sometimes things are just not meant to be. And I just spent the whole weekend crying in bed and I remember the next morning another prison officer who started their shift was like you can't be in bed all day you have to tidy up so it was evident that they hadn't told her what had happened so she's spending time chastising me telling me what she is and what she will and won't do if I don't get out of my bed and tidy up and have a shower and stuff and I didn't eat the whole weekend but the lovely ladies of my landing once they realized there was something wrong they came and they mopped up my cell and, and they brought me food and stuff and washed all my plates. And honestly, to think that all my support came from strangers, was it was quite sad. And even like when I spoke to my son's dad, it was on borrowed time. It's like when I came back from the hospital, I couldn't really say much anyway because all I did was cry. But I had to go back to my cell. I, I couldn't even, couldn't have as much time as I needed to to like, get support from my loved ones because whilst you're on remand you can have a visit every day if there's space so it's like I don't I there's no one I can sit and talk to and after that it was just things like as I got bigger seeing things like your portion size so I remember saying to the prison officer like I'm still really hungry um could I have more and they were saying to me no like the portion sizes that you have are exactly what you're getting like you get the same as everyone else it doesn't matter if you're pregnant so on a plus side being on the landing some of the pregnant people were on methadone so they that methadone affects their appetite so what they used to do is push their sandwiches through my door when the doors were locked because you're not allowed to share food with other prisoners also um, so they would wait until that um, the doors were locked because most of them were the cleaners. So they would pass their food through the windows because they knew I was hungry, which was really nice, but still quite sad because it's just like mm-hmm. loads of things are going unnoticed. And then it was the things with the clothes. So as I said, my pregnancy, it felt like week to week, I was morphing into someone new. So in yeah. prison, but only allowed a certain amount of clothing. Mm. But like as my partner handed something in, my belly got bigger. So nothing was, it's like one week, everything's amazing. The following week, my, my belly just doesn't fit fit anything. So go, we were going back and forth, back and forth. And the prison was saying to me like, oh, I should be lucky that I could hand be able to, to use the hand in hand out service. But it was like, well, I will be sitting in my underwear if I if I don't it's not because I'm trying to take advantage of 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 this because nothing fits so it's like you're you don't you can't try anything on so the only time they hand majority of people hand in stuff is at visits so I'm waiting at the visit for my partner to come for them to go you have you have they have to go through your list so I remember there was an instance where there was too much stuff on my card so they were like no you have to hand out the stuff first and it was like stuff sitting upstairs doesn't even fit but you know mm. that so it, it was just like this the stress of going back and forth is, is it wasn't it's not like it wasn't common knowledge you can see on my file that that I'm pregnant you can visibly see honestly like I, I I've never thought that I would say this I was very very big like week to week it was it was astonishing how much I grew 
So it was just things like this was stuff that I feel like goes missing because I'm aware that, you know, everybody thinks that you do the crime, you do the time. And I, I also used to feel like that. But to see so many reports and stuff of people giving birth in their cell and you just to think that those were the people that were strong enough to talk up. But when I arrived at prison, I was met with someone on my landing who gave birth in their cell the previous the previous year before I arrived. And to think that there's lots of people who this is happening to, they're having similar experiences like going into labour, having births assisted by prison officers and stuff, is such such a wild thing to, to hear that prison officers and commissioners are, are, are not seeing the value in, in having having a midwife and a health visitor present for all at all times and I'm and I'm very appreciative to the, the midwife that did come for the, the few days she did because in prison the midwife isn't seven days a week she's like she's part-time mm. for a couple of hours so she's seeing everybody who's pregnant or just recently given birth which is a, a lot of workload and I feel like it's things that the prison aren't willing to accept like they they think that the midwife is going to be going to be the health visitor uh, counselor and things like that and it just those things are unrealistic and I I joined Janie with the campaign is it's so sad to think my son is eight now. So to think that eight years later that they're still failing women mm. and and they're not supporting that the, the, they don't think this is valuable like mm. to, to release women. And and I'm and I do understand, like I've read all of the, the pros and the cons and people's concern, but babies are aren't prisoners and they deserve mm. the start as everybody else. And the prison service just cannot offer that. And they're showing us time and time again that it's just not that their, their way is just not sustainable or safe. And the baby's safety should come first before anything. Yeah, that's good. That's great, Susie. Thank you so much. That's really, that's really very. Um, I think the way you expressed it was so fantastic because I've, I've got a completely different picture of what life was like and not of the little everyday things that really a huge impact fantastic but Janie you just wanted to finish before we go on so I'm sure Maria will speak more to this but yeah what Susie said just reminded me just in terms of um, midwifery and how that role is really disrespected in the prison system yeah as we all know in a hospital setting it would be illegal for a nurse to determine whether someone is in labor however this is this is what happens in prisons all the time and we know that this has happened in the baby death cases and in another one of um, the women who Susie and I have been working with on this campaign it was a nurse who was called to assess whether she was in labor and she was indeed in labor it took five hours for her to ring the buzzer and then actually finally be let out of the prison um but I think it's just a really important point to note for this particular audience um in terms of actually that is such a key and simple thing actually that that and that's really important Jenny because when Susie just said about the midwife I thought oh I think maybe things aren't quite as bad but actually that that does make a big difference because as a as a 
I, I was a nurse and, now, and, and then a midwife, but as a nurse, I wouldn't have wanted to make the decisions about whether a woman was in labour or not. That's, it's quite a different skill set. So thank you for clarifying that one. I think we need to scamper on to Maria, though, because we don't want to miss very much. I know there's some questions coming through at the moment, which is why I'm looking every now and then, if anyone notices at the other screen. So we'll have some questions at the end, but I'll welcome uh, Maria Garcia de Frutos, who's a, a midwifery lecturer. She has, and you'll see, she has a strong passion for public health and a strong clinical and public health experience, a master's. She's an HEA fellow, and she's committed to reducing social inequalities and supporting vulnerable women with complex needs. And Maria, the screen is yours now. Thank you so much, Sue. And My thank pleasure. you so much, Susie, because uh, your Absolutely. story really talks to uh, all the findings of uh, the research that we did. And you articulated everything uh, so well. And I think having been a midwife, uh, working with women who had uh, very complex psychosocial needs, uh, we... And this is something for us to reflect on. We always talk about their vulnerabilities and women who have uh, issues with uh, substance misuse or who are victims of domestic violence or many other vulnerabilities. But in midwifery, we don't seem to talk um, hardly ever about women who had uh, been in contact with the criminal uh, justice system. And I think this is an opportunity for us to share it with uh, the audience and to, to give visibility to this group of women who are out there, who have very particular needs, who are facing uh, many challenges, who have their own struggles. And as Janie was saying earlier, as midwives, we, we and by the code, the NMC code, we, we need to treat uh, every individual as an individual with uh, their own particular needs. And that's something that women who are in prison are not um, getting. So this research was done uh, together with uh, Rona Epstein and Geraldine Brown, and I think they might be uh, listening to us today. So hello to both of them. And uh, as I was saying, we, in midwifery, we talk about vulnerable women. But one thing we have to ask ourselves is who, who actually makes them vulnerable. And just to give you a few more facts uh, from the ones that uh, Janie and Sue have mentioned earlier, around 600 women a year enter um, prison in the UK, and about 50 of them are pregnant at one time. Uh, they are five times more likely to have a stillbirth five times more likely and twice as likely to have a premature birth with all the consequences and the challenges that that uh, brings. So basically with all these figures and uh, following the report from Bronzefield's um, prison in Surrey in 2019, that a woman was left to give birth alone in her cell and the baby was uh, died or was a stillbirth, we're not sure. Uh, and with the starting point that prison is not a safe place uh, to be pregnant, we have started this research to find an answer to why are pregnant women in prison. So how we did it. So this research was funded by the Oakdale Trust and uh, with help from Birth Companions and Women in Prison, we designed an online survey. We had 19 participants 
and we also explored three case studies that they were uh, available to us. So what we found, actually what we found is all the things that Susie has already told us in um, her story. And basically all these findings, they reflect the structural failures of a system that is not working and how inequalities shape and disadvantage the lives of some women and, and those of their families and babies and, and, and really um, for no reason because there is no need for them to be there. So the offenses, all but two were nonviolent. Uh, the most common reason for being in prison was recall on license. Uh, and the stages of pregnancy when women were sent to prison, they were quite advanced. Like six of them were sent to prison at 28 weeks or later, and three were already 36 weeks pregnant. When they enter, we had two women who entered prison in their um, final trimester of pregnancy. Um, half of them suffered a history of uh, mental ill health. Uh, one third had drug misuse issues. Three had been homeless and four were victims of domestic abuse and coercion. So this already tells you that, you know, that system that is not working had failed them well uh, before they enter uh, the prison. And from their experiences of pregnancy and birth in prison, they, they, they showed, uh, their story showed stress and anxiety, lack of support, loneliness and difficulties in accessing services as uh, Susie has also uh, told us. So we all know being midwives that we need healthy mothers and healthy babies to have healthy communities. And this is something that uh, pregnant women in prison cannot achieve. Uh, so the lack of support was uh, reflected through some of the quotes that um, the participant gave us. And this really talks about uh, bonding and the impact that being in prison and this lack of support was having on their mental health. And we all know how important it is to keep a mother and a baby together. And also we know about the consequences of uh, separating them. And this is something that is not available. We all know that uh, also it's a postcode uh, lottery across the country. So not every woman can be placed in a mother and baby unit and keep their babies. So I'm not going to read all the quotes because you will have access to these materials later. But for those of you who are just listening, I'm just going to mention what Owen said, said, I had nobody. So from the start, I was set to fail. Or Ursula, who said, I feel constantly worried about my safety and if I would be released before the birth. Petrified, he would be taken from me. So some of these babies, they're actually taken away and given for adoption, like it was the case with Owen. Uh, or um, sometimes they're put in foster care. And uh, as Mandy was saying here, I just don't understand why they have done this to me. I feel I was punished for being pregnant. Now they have taken my son, which I can only get to see twice a week on a video call. It's not good enough. So this talks about bonding and, 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 you know, and the impact this has on the relationship, not only... Uh, the relationship between the mother and the baby, but also like future healthy relationships um, in the family unit. 
Another issue was the access to services. And this not only talks about inequalities, but this talks about a lack of uh, health equity. So this, again, going on uh, what Jenny was saying before about the uh, statements that the RCM and the Royal College of uh, Obstetrician and Gynecologists have said about women in prison should have the same uh, access uh, to midwifery services and et cetera, et cetera. That's not the case, and it will never be. Women in prison will never, never, never have the same uh, care that the woman in the community. And that's something that needs to stop. So women told us about missing appointments because uh, of staff shortages in the prison. They told us about uh, the treatment they received both in the prison and in the hospital, lacked the dignity and respect. And I think this talks to uh, a lot, this quote from Jody. She says, I was ignored and not believed that I was in labor. I was not responded to when I rang my cell bell. And when eventually answered, I was spoken to through the hatch. I was asked to prove my labor by showing the nurse at the hatch a sanitary pad with the mucous membrane. It was at that moment I felt a loss of dignity. I was left from Saturday night to Monday morning in labor alone in my cell. When a staff arrived on Monday morning, I was taken to the hospital. The whole experience was traumatizing. It is barbaric that this society would send and keep pregnant women in prison. And this is not new, and we have heard it from Susie, we had heard it from previous uh, research. This has been happening for so long that now it needs to stop. Also, I have to say that some women uh, mentioned uh, the care they received from the midwives and the support they were getting from them. But as Susie was saying, midwives are not there seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and they have set days to come to prison. So it's not always easy. And then they also appreciated the support they were getting from um, organizations like Birth Companions and Holy Says. Birth Companions were there every step of the way, gave me so much love and support. And it's about that, feeling the support and the love and being able to access what you need. So what is it that we are asking for? What are the alternatives? So we need to start from, from the, the starting position that no pregnant woman should be in prison. And we already know that there are many countries that don't permit the imprisonment of pregnant women. So it is possible and it can be done. So there are community support facilities that they are non-punitive residential options like these ones in the pictures. Uh, the one at the top is uh, the Phoenix Futures in Sheffield and the one at the bottom is uh, the Jasmine Mother's Recovery in Plymouth. So we are asking for the government who are currently thinking about building 500 new prison places and spending a lot of money on that to use some of that money to increase funding for women's centers and to establish a network of non-punitive, supportive, sustainable, and caring residential facilities. But overall, and I think we as midwives, we have a voice here and we can advocate. And we, at the end of the day, we are advocates of human rights and women's rights. So we need to move to a model of care that is fair, respectful, and safe for all. So if you haven't done it yet, go to Jenny's campaign, at, uh, we level up and uh, sign it. And also talk with your colleagues and with people because uh, this is not something, this is not a topic or this is not a group of women we normally talk about. 
So thank you so much. And thank you so much, Maria. I think I think uh, it does feel a little, and, and one of our um, audience has actually said, and this is Layla Graham. Thank you, Layla, for making a comment because I think you sum it up beautifully. She says, I feel as if we're barely dipping our toes into the water with this topic, especially after hearing Susie. Her perspective, like all the women we care for, is so valuable and gives great insight into a severely flawed system. Absolutely so, because I think for me, it was very much the kind of lack of respect, lack of dignity and dehumanizing of somebody. And, and there's kind of, it's an over punishment, just... And the other thing that stuck with me, Susie, is your talk about the honeymoon suite, because that seemed even more horrible to be in a fairly nice place. And then suddenly you're in the real place. It's like introducing you to the nightmare. I do have some questions. We do have a short time for questions. Uh, and we have um, someone, someone has said, hi, all. Do health visitors visit prison? Do the children stay with their mum in prison after birth or do they have to go to foster care? Suddenly, I don't, so, sorry, I don't know what the rules are. I think this one would be for Mayor, uh, Maria, actually. Yes, Jenny, please um, chip in if you can add anything. So it, as I was saying, it's a bit of a postcode lottery and across the country, like the services vary, but midwives going to prisons, with, uh, health visitors going to prisons as well, but they don't have like a routine schedule. They might go there like for an hour a week. Yeah. And uh, maybe as everyone may know in the audience, um, as midwives, you can specialize to work with a particular um, community or to expertise mm. in, in a particular area. This is not something that maybe the midwife or the health visitor that is coming to see you in prison have awareness or, you know, is not competent in that area. So again, they may come to see you, but maybe the, the care that you're getting is not uh, optimal. Okay. That's... Jenny was going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to add. So when you have a baby in prison um, and you're still serving your sentence, you can apply um, to live with your baby for up to 18 months on a mother and baby unit. But it's not guaranteed that you'll get a place. And you're often not informed of that being an option when you when you first enter the prison system. So one of the other women in our campaign, she gave birth to her baby, um, was, it's, it's so sad. She was on remand. She gave birth to her baby, then went home on bail with her new baby until her trial. And then her trial came, she was found guilty. She was sent back to prison without her baby. And there were no arrangements made for her to be able to take her baby. So then she had to apply. Every single day she was asking in the guards, I need to get onto the mother and baby unit. I need my baby with me. I need my baby with me. Finally, thankfully, luckily, she did. However, that's not the case for all women. And there's just no continuity. There's no one thinking about that or the yes. impact. And also the fact that children aren't a piece of property you can just put somewhere else. The, the attachment really are building blocks for the children for life. But what I would also say on that, I know there's no more questions. It forced mothers into an impossible position where you either can try and have your baby with you inside the prison, where there's really not that much to stimulate them, they're very isolated, or you go through the heartbreaking decision of letting them stay with a trusted relative if there is someone, if not, they will go into care and not be with them. They might have all the stimulus of going to, you know, going to the park, going outside, seeing trees, mm. seeing nature, but 
you're not with your baby. It's impossible. That's a terrible choice to me been making. And it, it just says to me, especially after the question earlier about the health visitors, you almost do need a, like a team approach with midwives and health visitors working with one particular prison. And I know that was happening, and I know it does happen in uh, one or two of the prisons, but it's something we maybe need to look at. This might be a little project for some midwives, if you're listening. And it sounds as though we've got some people who would be interested in doing this sort of work, because one lady, Jessica, hi, Jessica O'Keefe, says, how do midwives become prison midwives? It is, is it a specialist role, and does such a role exist? And she says, sorry, it's so new to, to me. And I, I suspect this one is for Maria. I know the answer, but Maria will have an answer too. <laughs> Jessica, so no, there is no uh, specialism of uh, uh, midwives who go to prison. But I think rather than making this specialist role happening, what we need to do is taking pregnant women outside of the prison. So rather than moving to a, a model of care where we, we train midwives to go into prisons, I think we need to take pregnant women outside of the prisons and midwives can see them out in yeah. the community. And I can see that Susie's got her hand Yes, up. I was going to say, I think Susie wants to speak to that one. Thank you, Susie. Hi, yeah. So I was a part of one of these meetings with one of the prisons. There's nothing special you have to be there. There inviting people to be trauma-informed trained which which isn't it, it's um not complicated training but just wanting it to be something more enhanced but generally yeah. just the process to applying is longer because you go through more vigorous checks that was something that we spoke about a lot with the prison commissioners is there there's at the moment there's actually quite a few um, midwifery jobs opening up within the UK because there is, as I'm, if I'm correct, there's only six prisons that have mother and baby units. Mm. So, but they they are looking for for midwives, and they're always going to they're going to they're, apparently they're hiring more, so they'll be vacancies, oh, wow. and it always for the midwives coming today because. I'm so glad that you lot have all attended, especially the students, because you are the future. So the fact that you have bothered to attend, that you care, is so amazing to hear, because you will be the future leaders of midwifery. So we could be sitting in front of the, the future directors of uh, oh. midwives and the heads of the NHS of the future. So it, it's lovely to know that this is something that is on your radar, to, that you're aware of. Susie, you are a perfect guest. You say beautiful things and you've given us a very powerful story. So thank you for that. And, and I will say that, um, that you, we've had a whole host, too many. If I let, read out all the names of people who've said how fantastic it was that you could share your story and thanking you for sharing your story, be, you would be crowned queen of the session, I have to say. It was fantastic. Um, somebody says, I think you might know that I, I'm not sure on this. Um, someone says, hi, all. what does recall of license mean? This is either Janie or Susie, I suspect. It sounds, um, it sounds a, a prison-y type thing to me. Yeah, um, basically, when uh, they have, believe you have breached the terms of your agreement oh. of, and that you are 
being recalled to prison to do the remainder of your sentence or some part of what was left when you were released. Okay. Well, that's that's clear and, and straight. Thank you for that, Susie. We've got um, Kelly wants to know how many women prisons are there in the UK? That's probably a Janie question. Um, I was going to say on the recall... Too many. <laughs> far too many is the answer. I was going to say on the recall point as well, recall um, can be extremely... Well, it is extremely bureaucratic sometimes. So you can miss one probation appointment and be recalled to prison. So it's, it's just... And there's no questions asked. It's really quite violent. Okay. So even if you forgot because you were stressed... If you, you had a care, if you, you know, your child is sick, if you were in traffic, you know, there's so many reasons why you might miss oh an appointment. It, this feels very harsh, really, very harsh. Okay, I've got uh, Jenny Hall. Hi, Jenny. Says, are there any areas in the country or the world where women are treated better when pregnant and get midwifery care? That one, I think, is Maria. Well, we found that there are 11 countries that uh, they don't send pregnant women to prison. So, okay. yeah, it is possible. Uh, so I think we need to start thinking rather than, you know, what different types of midwifery care is provided in prisons, who does what, how they do it. Yeah. I think the question is, how do we get pregnant women out, out of, of prison? prison? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, we first have got to sign that petition and get the, the RCM and the RCOG doing their bit as well. Thank you for that. Okay, I've got uh, Verena Wallace. Hi, Verena. Says she has a feeling that the system is better in Northern Ireland. And she was, she was asking, Maria, I think, did the research cover the whole of the UK? It does cover England and Wales. Okay, that's grand. Okay, and Claire Dale, who's a regular with us, Claire, hi Claire, says, for those people who are lucky enough to have their babies with them in prison settings, are trusted people allowed to take the babies for trips out or overnight stays? And would that be more suitable compromise if, or is that not allowed? So a sort of a little, it sounds letting out under license. I don't know if I'd like that if I was a mum, actually, but. Everybody's looking very, very. Um, Susie. Susie might know. Sorry, Susie, I didn't see the hand. From what I'm aware of, that the baby is allowed to be handed out, but you you don't leave. So the in the daytime, the ladies were telling me that when they go to work, that they hired staff ah. to take them outside to play, but they don't leave the prison. They the okay. the being handed out the baby is being handed out to like their dad yeah. they don't the prison the prison grounds but they they make space that looks like outside but you're not outside if that makes oh. sense yes so it they, does <laughs> before you hand out your baby your 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 family go through security process like <laughs> you know, like they don't just hand them out they they do background checks on them they take their pictures and that's even the the person like when you're pregnant when you go to visit so in order for someone to come with you to like a scan 
they have to go through a whole background check, provide their picture, sign a whole full agreement that, you know, they won't try to help you escape. So all of those stuff, they won't oh, give you it. So even when with the babies, when they do get here, you have to sign a group that then you're not going to give them anything that's not pro- prohibited by the prison. You're not going to break any any of the rules. So although they do make some allowances, you everything is an application process. Nothing is just granted to you just because you're a pris just because you're a prisoner who has their baby. You everything is is a whole process. And as you, if you think it was bad because of COVID. Like before, oh, they everything takes time. They don't have SLAs in prison. I mean, that's a service level agreement. So like an agreement that they will reply in a certain amount of time. You are left mm. in kind of a lot of limbo. Okay, that's grand. And Janie wanted to add to it, I think. Thank you, Susie. Just to, just to build on both Maria and Susie's points is that what happens on paper and what's there in the policy is so different to what happens in practice. And I think... The reason why, you know, Maria, you said, you know, instead of thinking about policy solutions inside the system, we just need to get women out is because genuinely it's the only way we can guarantee care and safety, Mm -hmm. because even the the processes that are in place at the moment, they don't happen in practice. And like Susie said, there was no one there to inform her of her rights as a pregnant prisoner, of what was available to her. She had to learn that through the other prison, through the other women in the prison. And so, you know, any any policy changes I'm extremely sceptical of because the evidence shows they're just not taken seriously at all. Right. Okay. So it's not really standardised anywhere. It's open to interpretation, which is always going to be a bit risky. Okay. Thank you for that. That's really helpful. Now, we've got a comment from Laura who says, thank you, Susie. As a student midwife, you've really opened my eyes to the needs of a group of women I haven't actually thought about before. I hope we can change what happens for the, for the better. So thank you, Laura. That's fantastic. And that's really very honest. And I think it, that happens a lot. They're a group of very, this is a group of very vulnerable women and they're kind of hidden, which I think we, I think all of both Janie and Maria and Susie have really opened our eyes to this. So thank you. Um, we've got uh, another question from Alesha Maguire. Hi, Alesha, who says, would an, a set, oh crikey, would a set induction of labour date be beneficial to ensure starving at the, starving at the prison and allow proper interpartum and postnatal care? I'm not sure if, if Alesha means, I, I don't think, I hope Alesha doesn't mean that you'd induce a woman in, in the hospital, in the prison setting, because that would be completely unacceptable. I'm not sure if that means that getting making a date for the woman to be in the hospital. Maybe that's what Alesha means. Not sure. Anyway, so I think I'm very, very aware that time has crept away very fast. And I'm also aware that I'm hoping we're going to be revisiting this issue um, in, I think, in season seven. So anyone who's watching and feeling frustrated because you want to know more and you want to kind of hear more and definitely hear more of Susie, who has been absolutely so generous and honest and has given such an excellent perspective, a different perspective, I think, for all of us, but also for Janie for highlighting the things we need to think about. And Maria, putting the research 
framework on it, which is makes this whole issue so strong. So we are going to revisit it. But in the meantime, I'm going to say a big thank you to Janie, a big thank you to Marie, and a big thank you to Susie, and also to everyone who's listened in this evening. This will be available at a later point, and I'm repeating, we will be revisiting this next series. Definitely promise, um, I'm definitely promising that. Um, so a big, big thank you to all of you for joining us. Now, next week, we're going to be talking. It always feels strange when I suddenly jump from one topic, which has been so involved and, and deep. But next week, we're going to be looking at developing global midwifery. Another small issue, I guess, with Maeve O'Connor and Georgina Sosa. We've got the All-Ireland Maternity Midwifery Festival on the 29th of March, the Midlands Festival on the 26th of April. So put, put a paper in or register, certainly. In the meantime, do go and look at the resources page. Go and look at that petition. Think about the issues we've discussed tonight and think about how you could positively, possibly impact on this either yourself you might have colleagues who might have an interest in this area and get talking about it stay safe stay well and look after yourselves and we'll see you next next week same time same place take care thank you for joining us for the maternity and midwifery hour this podcast has been made possible by the team at maternity and midwifery forum and our cpd partners matflix You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.